Hey, it's Christopher Ewing. Join me and other stroke survivors from across the country and around the world during the second annual Life After Stroke Support Group Cruise, October 28th to November 1st, 2024, aboard Royal Caribbean's beautiful Navigator of the Seas cruise ship. The ship leaves round trip from Los Angeles, California, making port stops to Catalina Island and Ensenada, Mexico. Stroke survivors, as well as their caregivers, family, and friends are invited to join us as we just take some time to put aside the thoughts of stroke and just enjoy life again. So join us October 28th to November 1st aboard Royal Caribbean's beautiful Navigator of the Seas, leaving round trip from Los Angeles and making port stops in Catalina and Ensenada, Mexico. For more information, just go to www.thestrokechannel.tv. That's thestrokechannel.tv. And remember, there's still a beautiful life after stroke. The following is a recorded program of an actual stroke support group. The comments expressed are the personal opinions of the participants and not necessarily the opinions of the producers, sponsors, or the broadcasters of this show. This program is not to be used as a way to diagnose or treat any medical condition that you may have. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional before making any changes to your current medical routine. Stroke. 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 It comes out of the blue, sometimes without warning. But those who survive it should never lose hope. A stroke can be life-changing. But it is also a new beginning. Because for all survivors, there is still a beautiful life after stroke. Hey everybody, this is Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing. Thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, today we are very blessed to have just an awesome, awesome expert here on the show. And the topic today is speech. Her name is Linda Dominguez-Gasson and she is with us right now. Hey Linda, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. Now, you know, you're kind of breaking one of my little rules, you know, certainly when it comes to experts like you. I always feel like you should be addressed with some kind of official something, you know. And, And so you've asked me to just call you Linda and it's like, okay, if you want me to, I will. But I would much rather prefer, uh, you know, Miss Dominguez-Gasson or something like that. That's all right. uh, I prefer Linda because uh, that's what I ask my patients. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Also with us, and we will come back to Linda, and she will uh, definitely share all kinds of excellent insight in terms of stroke and speech. She has just an incredible list of accomplishments and uh, things that she she says over the past 40 years, which I find hard to believe because I said, unless you started at three, I think you're lying to me, but uh, but I do want to introduce everyone else who's at the table, who are uh, kind of our panel of of stroke survivors uh, who are with us, and we even have a new face here. Hi, I am Joyce, and I had a stroke a year and three months ago, and I've been doing quite well ever since, working at just doing things better every day. Now, a little bit about Miss Joyce. First of all, she is just, in a, a, and for everybody listening, I have vowed that I will not cry in this episode, so I'm not, I'm not going to let you guys do it to me, but when, just thinking about Miss Joyce, she's already, get, already getting me all welled up. Um, Joyce is just one of these lights. I mean, she is, and even Gene's nodding his head here. You know, Miss Joyce, you know this. You are just such a light to the room. When you come in, they're just everybody, whenever all of us see you, you just you just light up the room. You're just such a beautiful spirit, and I'm just so glad that you could be here. And and I guess I kind of say that about you because one of the things that you have said about what your deficit has been immediately after the stroke was that you didn't really have any physical uh, impairment per se or anything like that, but that your mood changed. 
tell everyone a little bit about that because you, you talk about it uh, a lot in the Well, I do not have emotions. My emotions do not come up anymore. I, I can't really cry and I can tear, but it, the crying doesn't happen anymore and my attitude about a lot of things is different than it used to be. I've just totally changed. My whole thinking process is different. Hmm. And see, I just find that so amazing. Maybe that's something that uh, Linda can talk a little bit about because I know that that's kind of in her wheelhouse um, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But I just find that so amazing, Miss Joyce, because you literally, you always have a smile on your face when we see you. Gene's nodding his head. You know, you just, you just have just this beautiful spirit that it's like, well, man, if, if you've changed, what were you like before, for goodness sakes? Because you're just such a beautiful, beautiful person that, um, you know, but anyway, you know, and like I said, we can discuss that as we go along, but... Um, that's just kind of one of the things as to how weird stroke is you know it's like I was thinking earlier before the before we went on the air about how stroke is almost like a tornado that hits a town like one house might be completely destroyed another house might just have its roof torn off another house might maybe the branch fell in the garage another house might be totally missed and nothing's wrong you know it's just so weird how stroke hits a town meaning people and it just does whatever it does so individually and you know like I said you could we can look at you and think you didn't have a stroke you know but you know that you did your son knows that you did and I'm going to have you guys uh, you know on a, another show because it's such an amazing story just you know from his standpoint and, and just your whole stroke story because I know it but um, so anyway it's just amazing how um, stroke affects all of us so differently is my point um, so I'm going to go around the horn and introduce everyone else at the table and then um, we'll uh, have our featured guests so we can go to buddy Gene over here I'm Gene Zekuchi I had a stroke almost like this is about, it's about 8 years ago now and um, I had a serious stroke but they don't know what it is so, but I, my only deficit is my speech and perhaps my handwriting because I cannot sign a check. You cannot sign a check. <laughs> Are you sure you, you sure you really don't know how? You just don't want to know how. <laughs> That's the one thing. He doesn't want to know how to sign checks anymore. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Okay. I'm John, and I had a stroke uh, three years ago. Mm-hmm. And you had a hemorrhagic stroke, which I, I kind of want to mention that because I had a hemorrhagic stroke, and when I had mine, I couldn't find anybody that had a hemorrhagic stroke. And, uh, and you were the second person that I had found out that uh, even had a hemorrhagic stroke. The first person who I knew that had a hemorrhagic stroke after I did is the person who's about to say hello right now. Hello, my name's Gilbert. <laughs> uh, I did have a hemorrhagic stroke about six and a half years ago, and uh, I've been recovering ever since. Um, been a long road but it's uh it's, it's been mostly uphill some plateauing which we maybe talk about um but so far it's it's actually a blessing it has been a blessing in disguise for me and i and i've talked i've heard from other stroke survivors that 
that's also uh, their feeling too is about about their strokes is that it will cha- it can change your life forever but it can be a positive change even mm. so good point good point so we go back around the horn to our featured guest again her name is Linda Dominguez Gasson she is just an expert in uh, speech therapy and um, I'm gonna let her kind of give everybody a little thumbnail sketch of her accomplishments and uh, we'll go from there Uh, Thank you, Chris. Our formal title is speech-language pathologist. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people call us speech therapists. That's fine, but that's our formal title. Um, We have a a master's degree. We have to pass a nine-month internship. We have to take a national exam. We have a state license. And all of those are important because you have to have real true medical experience and knowledge uh, to be able to look at strokes and to be able to help people. Mm -hmm. I think that that's of real value. Personally, I work at Providence St. Joseph Medical Center in Burbank, California. We are a certified stroke center, so we do get a lot of people with stroke Mm -hmm. of all types. And you're the manager of that department. I am the manager. Mm -hmm. So... uh, Speech pathologists typically work with speech, which is articulation, language, which is coming up with words and putting together grammar, making a sentence, Uh, then cognition, which is thinking, reasoning, judgment, problem solving, and swallowing. Mm -hmm. Uh, In the beginning, when you first have a stroke, it's a whirlwind of activity. You're mm-hmm. brought into the hospital. We might, you may or may not have interventional radiology, which will go in and pull out a clot. You might be given medication that we call a clot buster, which is called TPA, to, to decrease the severity of the clot. Um, the thing about strokes, you, you seem, you were talking about kind of it's a mystifying event. Yeah, well, the thing that kind of gets me in, in is that, you know, you talk about speech, and it just seems like speech just has this huge umbrella when it comes to stroke. I mean, speech in in terms of stroke and in terms of, of how you deal with it as a therapist, it isn't just the fact that words may or may not be coming out of your mouth. It just seems like this speech and stroke is so broad based right speech and language um in general ties to most parts of the brain Mm -hmm. because that's how you communicate that's how you learn that's how you reason that's how you know your your thinking even requires speech and language for most people unless you're einstein and you think (laughs) symbolically um so the challenge of that is that it's in different parts of the brain Mm -hmm. depending on what you use so depending on the type of stroke you have or where the location is it will affect speech in different ways Mm -hmm. and that's that's why it's so challenging. Hmm. I had one uh, patient, for example, who was driving home and suddenly didn't know where he was. He hmm. was lost. He couldn't. He, so he did manage to get his phone and call his wife, and she asked, "Where, where are you?" And he said, "I don't know." And she said, "What are the signs that you see?" He said, "I can't read." And oh. he had a, what we call a cascading stroke. So he actually had three strokes in one. So it went bang, wow. bang, bang. So with that, it was a real challenge, even just to get him home. And that's one of the challenges of strokes. I consider strokes are like fingerprints. No two are alike. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the issue of the size of the stroke, the location of the stroke, the age of the person, the number of strokes, mm-hmm. and their general health. 
um, in this case with the the gentleman with the cascading stroke I remember going into the into his room there was a crash cart because they were so worried he had actually had a second stroke the next day and a seizure after that Wow and so they were wor- really worried and on the outside the neurologist and the cardiologist were doing everything they can to develop um, to look at the medications and how could they keep them safe and because one medication might impact the stroke and the stroke medication might impact the heart mm. and so it was a real uh, challenging thing so in the beginning it's just a whirlwind of medical care mm. uh, speech pathologists will come in early particularly because we work with swallowing mm-hmm. swallowing is one of those real big challenges early because we want to know if they aspirate which with food or liquids into their lungs Mm -hmm. they can get pneumonia and the last thing a person with stroke needs is pneumonia on top of that so we we need to make sure that we can get medications in the person Mm -hmm. that we can feed them so they can eat enough and i remember when i was in intensive care um i was first i was starving yeah (laughs) and i couldn't eat for like the first like two or three days I mean I was in intensive care like five days and I remember come on man it's been like two or three days you guys gotta give me something here because I'm like if I'm dying of a struggle I'm gonna die of hunger you know yeah. and but there was the fear that with the paralysis you know maybe you know I wasn't able to swallow correctly and so after three days they um, gave me some ice to, to chew on right. to, and to test my swallowing that way right to see if you know because if that went down my lungs at least it was just water and not you know right. food or something right I think the thing about swallowing in the very beginning is this when we, most strokes that have hemiparesis which is paralysis on one side or the other side mm-hmm. the challenge of that is people think they see it in your face or your lips they, they notice that but they don't realize that internally you were also paralyzed paralyzed mm-hmm. the muscles of your throat right. your colon right. your guts your stomach wow. all of it is paralyzed and so that's one of the biggest challenges with hemiparesis you may have problems with digestion you may have problems with elimination people mm-hmm. don't realize that it's all of you sure. not just on the outside and that even surprises some nurses at times mm. oh I forgot that of course that's why they're having problems right, right. so um, that's probably our number one thing and then we work on altering the diet because you may have weakness in your face or your tongue and we we will bring the diet down to like a puree diet well, and everybody sauce, loves yeah, that yeah. stuff yeah. and um, and then we thicken liquids the mm-hmm. reason for that is is that the muscles of the throat can't manage what we call complex textures like a salad where you is, you think of salad as dry but it's actually very wet you chew the, the mm-hmm. salad you swallow the dressing you swallow the juice of a tomato or whatever and so it can be very wet and you the throat can't manage complex complex mm-hmm. things like cereal and milk so those are the first things we look for immediately because we're worried about medications right 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 the next thing we look at is speech and articulation and there are two types of problems with speech one is the weakness in your face or your tongue and then the other one is oral motor apraxia that's a fancy word for inability to initiate speech so in, in a more severe form, a person can't even use their voice. They can't put their cords together mm-hmm. to produce ah. All they can, and they might not even be able to go ah, mm. which is breath, because they have to push. Sure. They might be able to do it, do it 
um, automatically, but not on purpose. I see. So that so we rule out those two things just for speech. You know, this is all so so amazing, and we've got a just a tremendous amount of stuff to cover in this episode. Um, you guys, we are very fortunate to have Linda Dominguez Gasson with us today, um, talking about not just really speech, but just a broad base of things that are connected to speech following a stroke, the cognition part of it, and just everything. Um, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to address all of these things. And so definitely, as you listen, take notes. We are just really fortunate to have her here with us today. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. I used to think going to the dentist was going to hurt, but now I go to Dr. Cade's. Dr. Cade's not just a dentist. He's a pediatric dentist. That means he specializes in us kids. It's fun. Dr. Cade's been a dentist for a really long time. That means he's really good. And his office is awesome. He even has a really cool game room. And sitting there while the dentist works on your teeth might seem boring. Not at Dr. Kane's. You get to wear these really cool glasses and watch cartoons while he works on your teeth. Plus, when you're done, you even get to go to Dr. Kane's toy stop and pick out a brand new toy. I like that. Hi, I'm Dr. Kane Hensiger, and your child's dental care is our passion. When your child has a dental need, give us a call at 402-330-1131 or visit us online at drkade.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. I'm Christopher Ewing. This is Life After Stroke. Our guest today is Linda Dominguez-Gasson, and she is a speech pathologist. She has a master's degree in speech. She's also a state-licensed speech pathologist who specializes in speech, language, cognition, and swallowing. And uh, we are just thrilled to have you here because we just know that you've just got a ton of information for all of us here, meaning all of us in this room, as well as all of our fellow stroke survivors who are part of this support group all around the world who are listening to this. The question that I have is, when it comes to stroke and speech, what do you see are the most common deficits that a stroke survivor will encounter following a stroke? It depends on where you are in your recovery. In the hospital, it's swallowing. That's okay. the number one thing, because mm-hmm. we want to keep you healthy and well. The next thing is speech and articulation. It can range mildly, but one of the biggest challenges, I think, for stroke survivors is aphasia or expressive communication. Mm. Aphasia means without words. So you might know you want to say apple, you know it's an apple, but you can't say apple. Mm. And so we have to assess whether it's the inability to produce the word because of the, um, the inability to initiate the word, or I know what it is, I just can't tell you what that word is. And then maybe a few minutes later, you remember the word. Hmm. And it's kind of maddening. Um, now, can, it's going to sound really weird, but why does that happen? What, is there a particular part in the brain depend- that prevents yeah, there, that? Yeah, there are multiple places in the brain. That's part of it. Hmm. So because the brain uh, is, is, the speech area is very connected to the to multiple areas in the brain, it can be most difficult. Um, probably one of the most common is what we call the Broca's area of the brain, the ability to retrieve words. And that's one of the biggest challenges. So when you have aphasia, you have difficulty retrieving words and coming up with them and putting them together in a sentence. Like, I want a, and then you just get stuck. I call it a wall that comes up. 
and then the wall comes up and you have to wait a while and then when it comes down then you can retrieve the word mm -hmm. and that's really one of the biggest challenges I think for stroke survivors after they get out of the hospital or even while they're starting to recover and I uh, that's one of the things you have to constantly deal with. I know I, I was telling you earlier about a patient of mine who had a severe aphasia. She understood language, but she couldn't speak at all. Mm. And I remember at one point she managed to be able to get out how long. Mm. And basically, how long is it going to take for me to recover? And I told her, as long as it takes you to remember how to speak every single word. <laughs> and she, wasn't, she didn't appreciate the answer. But at the same time, she didn't quit. She never gave up. She always worked harder. I, I saw her at her house at, for a while. And I remember one time I'd knock on the door and she, she'd had trouble speaking another word. She came in, she opened the door, and she said, Zucchini. <laughs> and then the next day, she'd open, next time I saw her, she opened the word, and she goes, Persimmon. Oh, wow. You know, every time <laughs> she learned a new word, she'd practice and practice sure, and practice until sure. she could speak it. Sure. And, you know, and, and that's something I've learned personally through this, because when I was in... Um, when I was in rehabilitation, you know, I was in intensive care for five days, and then they transferred me to a rehab hospital for a little over a month. And when I got there, my speech was very slurred, and even more slurred than it is now. I can hear a little bit every now and then, and maybe everybody listening can too. But um, the one thing that I found was that I wasn't able to really say more than just a few words I mean, I knew all the words, but I just couldn't, I just didn't feel like saying more than just like two or three words. And I remember the ST every day that we worked in the hospital, because it was, you know, every day I had speech therapy in the hospital, you know, she would always force me, you know, she'd say, okay, Christopher, so, you know, how's your day today? And I, you know, that was great because I could just say fine, you know, just, you know, get out of it that way. But she'd always say, come on, a little more, tell me more. And it got to the point where she even put something on the wall that I had to re see every morning when I got up, which was to say more than three word answers because I would only give three word answers and to really force myself to enunciate every word perfectly and not slur. So I had to really stress myself saying, like I'm kind of imitating now, saying every word just over-enunciating it because it was just a mishmash of mess. Right. So if your speech is uh, slurred, over-articulation is a really good way mm -hmm. of being able to coordinate the mouth, the tongue, the lips. Mm -hmm. And that's important. So over-exaggeration of those things um, is super helpful for articulation. You get used to slurring or hearing that sure. slurred speech, but you, you have to keep fighting against it. Yes, absolutely. Now, when you talk about dysarthria, um, mm -hmm. go a little bit into that. Well, dysarthria is one of the speech intelligibility problems. So it's weakness of the face, tongue, lips, jaw, things like that. One of the things um, that it's just simple oral motor movements. So moving your tongue side to side, moving your tongue up and down, moving your tongue in and out, and being able to practice tongue strengthening exercises. Another thing would be um, repetition of sounds like pa, ta, ka. Do first saying it pa, 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 ta, 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 ka, ka, ka. No, things like that would two. help. Is aphasia more common than dysarthria, or vice versa, or is it? I, it's it's. 
I'd say dysarthria or facial weakness is probably a little more common, mm -hmm. but aphasia is the most maddening. Mm -hmm. And so, and because so many people have trouble with aphasia, which is the without words, mm -hmm. that is the thing that we have to constantly work work on with mm. patients. The other thing that I find really amazing when it comes to speech and stroke and really what you have to deal with that falls under your professional umbrella is other things that really kind of don't really have to do so much with the audible ability to say a word out loud, but it's other things that you wouldn't think would really fall under your umbrella, like confusion, reasoning, um, insight, understanding things, problem solving, memory. Um, it's amazing that all of that falls under speech. You, you hear speech and you just think it's just right. talking, but it's really way deeper than all of that. If you think of the brain like a com probably the most complex computer you've ever mm -hmm. imagined, uh, we talk about AI, the brain is way, way beyond that. And so because it is so complex, it not only has to regulate body functions, it has to think, it has to reason, it has to learn, mm -hmm. has to problem solve. So all of that is under the speech pathologist purview and things that we work on. So one of the biggest challenges for patients is how is teasing out what is causing this person to have difficulty uh, with remembering things or doing, so sequencing and planning. Um, one of the biggest things is having insight into your problems. For quite a while, you could many patients have a, what we call a denial of deficits. They don't even realize that they don't have these deficits. Hmm. When they might wake up or not see to the left because they have problems with their vision, they might continue to run into things if they ha don't have insight about the fact that they have a vision problem mm -hmm. and they're not scanning to the left. I see some heads nodding in here. Is that something you guys have had to deal with or anything? Yes, and and it was bad hmm. for me. And it I'm better now, mm -hmm. but it's hard work. Was it something, John, that was kind of evident right as soon as you had your stroke, or did it happen very uh, progressively? Or? Um, I was safe but not mm -hmm. uh, it's hard for me to talk about it mm -hmm. um, but um, I, it was uh, uh, bad but I didn't know it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now when you say it's hard for you to talk about it is it hard because it brings back bad memories or was mm -hmm. it just no no oh, okay. um, no I I'm good now, yeah, right. but uh, it's hard for me to to recall to, or yeah, remember. Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and see, that's what I'm saying. It's amazing if that falls under the speech that there's the speech connection to that. How does how does all that play into that? Linda? Let me give you an example. I had mm -hmm. a patient with a hemorrhagic stroke. Mm -hmm. um, it was on the right side of his brain. Mm -hmm. uh, he, sh by all accounts, the severity of the bleed was so bad. We, the hospital was sure he would die mm. but he didn't mm -hmm. and he was an uh, an owner uh, a multi-millionaire owner of a very um, complex company mm -hmm. and he had multiple degrees and suddenly found himself in a wheelchair confused not understanding mm. he could speak but he didn't understand and so he had a lot of what we call problems with insight mm. 
as he got better and started to be able to walk, he kept running into anything, mm. everything. And so when I, I was really worried about his insight, because if he didn't know he had a problem, he mm, would never get I better. See. And so he continued to say, I'm fine, I can do that, I don't know why you're asking me this. Mm. And so I, it was a really tough patient. He was very opinionated, mm. and he was <laughs> very upset with me, and I was not understanding him mm-hmm. so one day i turned up the heat in my office and he and he, he literally walked in with a black eye from running into oh, something and i sat him down and i said okay john take off your coat mm-hmm. and i did not help him he couldn't take off his coat it took him 45 minutes to take it off mm. it, he got it got wrapped around in it, mm-hmm. almost hung himself practically in it. Mm. He couldn't get his arm around. He was so frustrated with me because I wouldn't help him because mm-hmm. he kept saying, I'm fine. I don't mm-hmm. need help. And so I said, you're fine. You don't need What me. a great lesson in insight. So he finally mm. got, uh, got it off and threw it at me. Oh. Just barely missed me. <laughs> and, and then I said, well, our time's up. You got to go. <laughs> and he was Bless livid. Bless his heart, all his time. Oh, poor guy. It was tough. It was one of the toughest things I ever did. But when he came in the next time, he, um, I said, okay, take phone messages. And he was livid again because he has secretaries for that. Why am I taking a phone message? But he couldn't do it. And he broke down and started crying. Aww. And at that moment was when I knew I had broken through his insight. He now knew what was wrong. Mm -hmm. And the grief was profound. And so we got him therapy and got him help and support. But that's one of those things where during the course of therapy, when you really work closely with something, later on he called it the jacket incident. (laughs) But it's one of those things you really get to know people and you become so close to them. Yes. Uh, but but mm. inside is a really important. And, and I and I go back and say again, like you wouldn't think that that would really fall under, like a speech therapist job. You know what I mean? Like Gene's not saying. You know, you would think that, you know, okay, well, what does that have to do with being able to talk? But, you know, it's it, the the job of a speech therapist really is huge, huge, huge because. It, there's so many other things connected, you know, long before you can even get a word out, you have to have enough insight as to what you even want to say or how you want to say it or what you want to do or what you don't want to do or what you need or what you don't need. And it really takes someone like you to help us get back to just that. Right. Being able to say, I'm not okay, I need help with my jacket or, you know, I, whatever, you know, we, we, you, you even have to help us get back to being in touch with that part of ourselves. That's the trick, I think, as a speech pathologist, not just to identify the problems, but to know how to step-by-step step mm-hmm. bring your patient back to, to function, to mm-hmm. ability to be able to, to work within their, you know, say their job or their home or to avoid the nursing home. Mm-hmm. And that's really one of the biggest things for us is to, uh, to do that, uh, uh, is to be able to plan, give a plan of action the challenge for us is is the patient willing is the family able to help you know mm-hmm. those patients that don't have people lobbying for them and working for them or the, you're not able to see the motivation in people they don't do as well right 
Yeah, I guess that would make a big difference. You know, I remember making the comment when I was in the rehabilitation hospital, and they had said that they had heard other people say this too, that of the three therapies, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy, I said to me, speech therapy was way harder than any of the other two therapies by far. By far. And our job is connecting all those pieces in the brain. Um, you asked, at one point you had asked, you know, how does this happen? How, how is it so hard? I, if you think of, um, we all live in L.A. and we all understand freeways and traffic. Mm-hmm. So if you put a, if you put a traffic, if you, if you have an accident on, in a major thoroughfare, mm-hmm. and what, what do all the cars have to do? They have to detour. They have to go around, and then you're all on the streets, and then you're all doing this. So when you have a stroke, the challenge for the speech pathologist is to reroute Mm. the parts that, away from the part Mm -hmm. that had the stroke, and retrain other sections of the brain to do the job. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we can do it, sometimes we can not do it as great, but the goal is always to try and reroute the neurons. Um, And in the brain, in its infinite unbelievable ability to re, uh, to make new neurons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it may not be perfect mm-hmm. but they can if you don't have any other underlying health issues like a Parkinson's or a dementia mm-hmm. the brain can rewire itself mm-hmm. and that's an amazing thing about the brain and so that's why I always say just because you're a year out or two years out you can learn new things you can do new things you can be you have to be strong to do it and get out in the real world but the more you do the better you're going to be and that's where I want to go with this now is to someone who is shoot let's just say two years four years into dysarthria or aphasia they can still improve. Huh? The gal I talked to you about who was not happy about the fact that she couldn't talk anymore, mm-hmm. was it was just simply not okay. <laughs> she had it in her DNA. It was every bit a part My of girl. her. And that. she fought it and fought it and fought it. I've never had a patient work as hard as she did. She never gave up. She mm. always worked harder to speak. She did her exercises constantly. So there are two things about that. Early on, and I, and, and I encourage anybody listening, when you still have the chance to have access to a speech pathologist, put their feet to the fire. Mm-hmm. Ask them questions. What, what do I need to do at home? Give me a home program. What are we going to do? My job, one of the things I always tell my families is my job is to not just give you therapy at the moment, mm-hmm. but to give you therapy for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. How are you going to work on this? What is your home program? What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? And you got to get brave to walk out with an uh, arm that doesn't work anymore, with a leg that helps you stand but doesn't walk as well as you did. Mm-hmm. And if you can fight that and work through it, you it's not enough to be a stroke survivor, but it's to be a representative of stroke survivors who are continuing and going, moving on. And that, I think, is really courageous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and so that's, that's how you get better. You never quit. You always go on. Hmm. So for somebody who, like I said, is maybe two years in... They still have the chance to build neurons. They still have the chance to um, get better and stronger. They still have the chance to... They may not recover 100%, mm-hmm. but you, can you 
can you find things that you can do that are more interesting or can you seek things in another way that you can still contribute to life and I think that that is of real value absolutely and you know for everybody listening this I think is kind of the biggest one of the biggest reasons why I'm so passionate about a show like this is that we have professionals like Linda that come on that will convey to us the importance of not just not giving up but you know in the midst of our stroke we might think okay well this is my new normal this is it this is what I got now and good on you for somebody you know like you to come in and smack us upside the head and say okay look I don't want to hear about it okay I don't care if you're two years in four years in five years in you know quit screwing around get this going you know it ain't over right um, what, what are you going to do now? Yeah, right. And that's, it's a challenge. And it, it, um, it takes some, you know, a lot of people give up. Right. And a lot of people quit. And, it, and you can't. Right. You can't quit. Sure. Sure. You know, we're going to take a break. And um, when we come back, I know we've got a lot of questions here and stuff like that. So we're going to get into that. And then also um, uh, a little later on, you're going to give us uh, some homework. Yep. Um, and so I'm excited uh, for all of that. So for everybody listening, uh, sit tight and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Christopher Ewing at the Indie Music Channel in Hollywood, and this is the Pop Artist Spotlight. One of the most versatile artists on the music scene today is award-winning singer, producer, and composer Dee Edward, who says his love for music began very early on. I started in middle school with piano lessons. And then in high school, I started performing. I was the conga drummer for the Afro-Haitian dance classes, and I was the percussionist in the jazz band. Then throughout college, I started um, really getting into songwriting. Um, and then fast forward many, many years later, I finally quit my job because I didn't want to die thinking what if. And, and really, that's still my motivation for everything that I do now. And that motivation has led him to create some awesome music for both radio and film, like his hit song, Hold On. You can see the video for Hold On as well as get a free download of some of his music on his website, dedwardmusic.com. With the Pop Artist Spotlight, I'm Christopher Ewing in Hollywood from the Indie Music Channel. Hey everybody, welcome back to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing. We are speaking with Linda Dominguez-Gasson. She is a speech-language pathologist. And one of the other things I want to ask you about is, you know, I can think of friends of ours, you know, many of us here at the table um, that we can think about that have, you know, various kind of deficits when it comes to their speech and things like that. Like one person we can think of who, you know, I think is just a a wonderful lady. Um, She, when she speaks, she has mentioned that sometimes her throat will tighten and it will make it difficult for air to pass through sometimes and it kind of takes on a little bit more of this kind of thing and I have that by the end of the day I sound like that as well Um, what what is that it's muscle fatigue okay Um, you have to remember that again as we spoke about earlier is this when you have a hemiparesis or weakness on one side or Mm -hmm. the other and you're using it which is good but after a while it might fatigue quicker than the other side Mm -hmm. which is stronger and so if it's vocal cords, for example, they, one side can weaken a little bit, mm-hmm. and then you get maybe a little more breathy or a little weaker. Right. And so that's not uncommon. Even though it's, you think it's not working well, and mm-hmm. it's actually working harder. I see. To try to keep up with the other Correct. side. I see. Ah. So it fatigues. Very interesting. So, 
you know, it's it now see that brings back two thoughts in my mind. Number one, when I was in, in rehab, I had paralysis basically on the left side. It was very husky, I mean even even more huskier than it is now. My voice was always somewhat kind of husky, but it was really husky. The other thing is is besides this show, I host a, a, a very popular um, radio music show uh, that's been on the air for years and so forth. And so um, and I basically went back to, I stopped doing the show for a couple of years, but went back to it just really about a month or so ago to force myself to enunciate words. It just kind of became therapy for me and everybody was wanting me to do the show again and you know I'd done it for so many years. So at any rate, my point is is that I have found that I cannot listen to that show before I do this show because since it's a music show and there's all kinds of great songs from all over the world, the name of the show is the Radio Cafe Top Ten Countdown. So if you guys Google that or if you put it into Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts, you'll find it. You'll hear some of the literally the best music of independent artists from all over the world. So I encourage you guys to check it out. It's really, really cool. But some of the songs are so good that I love singing along with them, but I can't do it before this show because by the time you know I listen to an hour of that, I got nothing left you know for something like this because I'll be grooving to it. So um, it's interesting how that uh, how you mentioned that it's muscle fatigue that will cause that to kind of tighten up. Is there anything that you can do? It would trying to push through it and talk more. Is that no? Actually, I don't. I think you need the rest. You need the rest. Um, okay. It's just like you're. You talked about you. You do some voiceover work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're starting to get strained or weak or even if you're exercising and your muscle starts getting weak you need to let it rest Mm -hmm. the way to heal and the same thing and that's something i was going to talk about in a few minutes is you exercise you rest the Mm -hmm. rest is healing then you exercise then you rest the rest is healing and so that's why you you push a little bit and then you take a break you push Mm -hmm. a little bit take a break so in your case you want to take a break then do it the next day or you know wait a few hours until you're a little stronger gotcha you don't want to push a muscle to overuse and and then it breaks down Mm -hmm. okay so to go back to my friend from the the support group that i know who she has you know that tightening so um kind of talk and do your thing and then when it starts to fatigue kind of chill for a while yeah. and let it kind of heal and rest is there anything that you can maybe take not medicinally but maybe like a tea or is, is water good cold hot um, staying hydrated is always important okay um, but honestly I'm not much of a uh, when it comes to voice I'm not much of a fan of anything other than water okay and if you don't have actually that's pretty much my Got favorite okay <laughs> okay why, why is that why is that important um, I think one of the things is a lot of actors particularly for example think that if you drink honey or tea, you know different products mm-hmm. but actually those products never touch the vocal cords mm-hmm. when they do touch the vocal cords what happens you cough like crazy yeah, and right. try and get it out mm-hmm. so you know everybody's had something go down the wrong tube mm-hmm, the wrong goozle pipe yeah and <laughs> okay. so it never touches cords it doesn't help them mm-hmm. so the only thing that helps them is hydration okay. and rest. It is coughing uh, kind of um, an issue following a stroke, like a like a tickle in the throat and things like that? You is can, that, that you, you find? can uh, it, coughing can be a problem. Sometimes even sneezing, mm-hmm. and it's all has to do with the automatic uh, nervous system and how that functions on the stroke. Boy, I'm so glad we got you on the show because <laughs> now I got to. John's reaching for a mic too. I'm let, go ahead. I'll let you go first, yeah. man. 
uh, coughing or sneezing is bad for me. Me too. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It'll. It, I get like this little tickle sometimes, and it'll just drive me crazy. But here's the thing. It'll. I have this whole pattern. It's a crazy pattern. There'll be like four or five coughs, and I know that it's. I'm not going to stop coughing till I have that sneeze. Yep. And then when that sneeze comes, and I'm like, okay. And I just kind of now I just kind of like wait for the sneeze to come because I know it's coming. Yep. <laughs> you know, yep. is that happened to you, John? Yes, okay. a lot. Okay, I was literally thought, okay, I've either got the longest cold in the history of like the planet <laughs> or something. Oh my gosh. And Linda, is that something that is that you've seen to be common? Mm-hmm. Or you've heard? I, I usually see it early on. Okay. But uh, I've also seen patients with hiccups. Okay. They'll get hiccups. Ooh, that, I hate hiccups. I don't have those, but man, I would, that, that would do it for me. I'd be like, oh gosh. Okay. All right. Um, another friend that I've come across at some of the support groups, brilliant, brilliant mind, brilliant mind, basically was kind of forced out of his company because of the stroke, but is left with uh, a, speech, a spe- speech pattern that is very tough. You know, it's hard for him to uh, not really find the words. You can find the words great. But just to, what was I guess, the muscles to kind of form the words for it to come out no, as so clear as it used to prior his to his stroke. speech intelligibility. Okay, is that what it's called? It's uh-huh. Or his articulation. Okay, yes. No, it's that. Um, the things to do for that is over-exaggerate the movements of your lips, mouth, and tongue, and mm-hmm. decrease your rapid rate of speech. One of the biggest problems with super smart people is they want to talk really fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got it. And you gotta you got to speak more slowly and really over-exaggerate your lips, mouth, and tongue, mm-hmm. and do it so that it's in an intelligible manner. So really, like, slow it down to where it's like a crawl, just like yeah, that become an exercise feel of sorts? Very smart people or people with a lot on their mind mm-hmm. um, with their minds racing will want to hurry mm-hmm. and it actually worsens the behavior it doesn't improve it so you want to slow down and practice that it can be you can continue to have some speech problems depending on the type of stroke and where it was and how big and severe but that's most common it, it helps if you just slow down and over articulate so earlier you were saying something that was really profound, which was about vocal cords and their number one job. Um, say that again. The number one job of the vocal cords, in fact, they have a lot of sensitivity um, receptors, not necessarily pain receptors. Um, they do have some, but it's really uh, sensitivity. So their number one job is to cough out foreign bodies that might enter the lungs. So, for example, in California, we had a lot of fires this year. There was a lot of smoke in the air, and a lot of people were coughing because those foreign little mm-hmm. tiny particles were landing on the vocal cords of people, and they were constantly coughing to try and get them out. Sure. Uh, the job of the vocal cords is to protect the lungs. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah. Hmm. Well, there's a Jeopardy question for you, you yeah. know? <laughs> yeah. That's really, that's really cool. Um, I know another thing that a lot of stroke survivors talk about are the emotional changes that take place following their stroke. Um, talk a little bit about that. Um, a lot of patients will experience strokes in what we call the frontal lobe or in deeper in the brain, which is our personality. Mm-hmm. That's not uncommon. Remember, all of us is located in our brain everything who we are how we react what we do and that includes our emotional component and so depending on the type of stroke 
you may be more inhibited or less inhibited. So more inhibited, you might be more shy, more scared, more nervous. It's kind of typically whatever your personality is, you're more of that person. So if you were outgoing, you might be more outgoing. Or After if the stroke. you right, or if you're or if you're shy, you might be more shy. Um, the other thing about it is is that um, in the beginning, you have really the five stages of grief. You have your denial and anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance and then insight. But in addition, it can really change your personality if, it, it, if it's near the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe is who we are. It's what differentiates us from animals is we have a very highly developed frontal lobe. And so that's one of the things that can really impact you and strokes themselves can cause depression. It's not just that you can be depressed because you had a stroke, which is also normal, but strokes can cause depression and they can also change the chemistry in your brain. Um, And that can impact how how you react to events or things in the world. That's very common. You know, um, Miss Joyce, you had mentioned earlier in the show that you had a personality change, you feel, following your stroke. Um, talk a little bit about that. Well, all I know is that my emotions are not there anymore like they used to be, hmm. for one thing, and i that's hard to define. All kinds of emotions, like happy, sad? Well, I can be happy. Uh, the sad part, uh, I don't think I ever experienced sad. Hmm. And but you did before, prior to the stroke? A little bit, yes, I could okay. experience it. Hmm. Have you heard stuff like that before? Yes. Like it's hard to kind of pinpoint and define, but you just know that you know that you know? Yeah, and I think that that, that is not an uncommon problem. Some people can be more aggressive. Some people can be uh, more calm. And that is, that is a direct result of the stroke. That is not an uncommon problem. Hmm. Uh, depression also is not an uncommon problem. Um, and I why is that? Because we hear that a lot at some of the support groups, too, is that, you know, guys raise their hands and say, anybody else, you know, here dealing with any kind of depression or anything? Like they find themselves yeah. feeling depressed more than they ever even did ever before, before the stroke. Yeah, you can have weird responses, too. Like it's not uncommon for people to cry more mm-hmm. uh, after stroke. And they may feel perfectly fine, but they're crying. Um, in the same In the same way, people can change their personalities a little bit following stroke. Now, the crying part you were mentioning, is that pseudo-Bopar affect? Yes, yes. I've always been a very emotional guy, and so, you know, I had a little episode over the past two episodes, and I was like, okay, you know, this is just me, but, um, so I don't see why I'm any better or worse or any different pre-stroke or post-stroke, but I have come across people within our stroke community who do suffer from that, and where does that stem from? It, it really just it depends on wh- the location of the stroke mm-hmm. and how it af- impacts the personality. I see. Because your brain um, reacts a certain way and uses different parts of your brain to behave in certain manners. Mm-hmm. If you have a stroke in a specific spot, that can trigger problems. And do those type of things tend to last for a while? Or it, it, everyone's different. They mm-hmm. can't. They are typically harder to correct. Mm-hmm. Um, because, for example, if I looked at you and said, I want you to cry, <laughs> it's not going to happen. So it's hard. It's not something, you know, it's, it's harder to give an exercise for 
being more emotional Wait, or less emotional. Because I, you couldn't cry even if you made me. <laughs> Bless me. Huh? Isn't that something? Um, going back a little bit to, to depression, because I again I've heard from several people that this tends to be something that they deal with post-stroke. Um, what are some things, I mean, other than kind of the, the usual, you know, more medicine or whatever else like that, is there anything that they can do just to kind of try to swing it back? Because, you know, these are people who maybe have never had to be on any kind of medication for depression prior to the stroke. Um, is there a way that they can get back to kind of their old normal post-stroke? Uh, the, the ones that I see who do better with the, their depression are people who find joy in things mm -hmm. or find activity in things so for example volunteering helping others um, uh, t getting outside of yourself instead of focusing on yourself also therapy is always a good thing support groups are always mm -hmm. a good thing mm -hmm. but you don't want to just say I'm depressed I'm bummed out I'm you know you what you really need to do is so what are you going to do about it what are you going to get out you're going to go do something you're sure. going to volunteer um, you're going on a hike one thing I noticed just even today on the internet was talking about the importance of going on walks every day mm -hmm. that it increases blood flow and perfusion and actually it decreases the risk of um, uh, additional stroke because you're exercising. So getting out of yourself and doing something different or unusual or new not only helps your cognitive rehab, mm -hmm. but it also helps your ability to um, focus on something greater than yourself. Mm, very good. Very true. Now, which leads me to another question then. So somebody's a stroke survivor and they see that they've got a limited amount of ability than they had pre-stroke and they're bummed about it. Yeah, I would. How do they kind of put that genie back in its bottle then? That's what I mean by you have to keep... You, you know, there. it's interesting. I've seen how people handle adversity. Mm -hmm. How do you handle adversity when all is lost? At, when you think all is lost, but you can still maybe communicate. You right. can still sort of walk around, but not as well. You can still, you, you have to start focusing on those things and keep trying and keep working. You can't quit. So you got to find ways to continue to move yourself forward, even though you took a hit. Sure. And I think that that's really a big challenge for people. Everybody listening? Truer words were never spoken, I'm huh. telling you. Um, you know, this is where we're at now, okay? But at the end of the day, we're still here, number one. And, you know, as is kind of our saying with the show, you know, there's still a beautiful life after stroke. And it's really got to be up to all of us to continue to find that beauty, to continue to embrace that beauty, to remember that the beauty ain't gone anywhere. You know, it's like I remember when I was in the hospital, they it reminded me, you know, Christopher, you know, you didn't break a bone. You know, your, your leg isn't broken, your arm isn't broken. It's all still in there. It's just now we just have to wake it back up and, and remind it of what its job is. And, you know, <clears throat> same thing through speaking and everything else. And so... I just personally, I guess, if, you know, from always being active, you know, whether it's, you know, doing TV stuff or riding horses or whatever, I've just always been a very active person. So 
my own personal motivation has been to okay I'm like the woman that you spoke about earlier like hey I gotta get back to this I, this is I will not accept this you know this is unacceptable right. um, that's just kind of I guess been my personality and maybe that's why maybe I've dodged the depression bullet but <clears throat> I've gotten hit by the spasticity bullet and the central post-stroke pain bullet and everything else. So I've got my own bullets, but um, but I guess I could see where it would really be so much in your mind because I mean, really, that's where all of this is. That's where the rub is all across the board. It's all in our head. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it invented, some of it not invented, some of it, you know, we can definitely take charge of and control, and some of it might be a little outside of our control because of the damage that's happened to our brain. But at the end of the day, I just can't say it enough. You know, you guys, we're still here for a reason, first and foremost. And it's got to be up to us to f- continue to find our purpose, our worth, and know that we ain't here on accident. Um, we are just as awesome as we were pre-stroke. We're the same person. Everything's still in there. Might be a little out of place. Might be a little out of sorts. We might have to kind of, you know, we might have to kind of do the whole neuroplasticity thing and reroute it and find its other way back around. So it might have to detour a little bit. But um, the purpose of this show is to help all of us get back to who we were. And I won't settle for anything less. It's just not just for me but I won't settle for anything less for any of you guys um, John you were going to say something I was um, um, my boys are in scouts now mm-hmm. and I am working on the wood badge um, cool. and it's given me hope and it's fun for them to oh, that's do what it is too. It, what's a web badge what is that um the wood badge is wood badge. um scouting's elite oh very cool wow yeah. very cool yeah oh that's for adults yes oh okay scouts uh, me wow very cool <laughs> and um and then um i was uh nra certified for shotguns and rifles mm-hmm. and I, I taught my kids that mm-hmm. stuff too interesting well really cool very cool when you have a reason to get up in the morning yeah you you got somewhere you're going to be better yeah and you know for everybody listening okay so you had a stroke all right. Part of me wants to say, okay, now get over it. And, and well, a large part of me wants to say get over it. And I don't necessarily obviously mean it from a physical standpoint, but, you know, you'll get over it physically however you get over it physically. But at the end of the day, mentally, okay, this is where we're at now. You know, are we going to piss and moan and complain and cry in our beer? Or are we going to kick ourselves in the tail and do something about it? And, you know, there is so much chewing on a cough drop. So sorry if it's crunching in the microphone, you guys. Um, there's so much still to us that we have to give and bring there's things that we all can still do while we might not be able to do it the way we used to do them we come to the party with our brains intact in terms of our intelligence to be able to convey the things that we've learned the things that we know how to do and whether we can still physically do them ourselves or if we're equipped to be able to educate maybe the younger group that are coming up you know and bestow on them our our wisdom and things like that my point is is we still have value and in the the topic of this depression thing and then we'll move on to something else 
we need to continue to embrace the value that we do have and remember that we still do have value and that there are others who could benefit from the value that we still have. We just have to make ourselves available to share that value and to share those abilities that we still have with others who don't have them. I mean, some of us are so skilled, even with a stroke, we're still great at what we can do. Better than people who haven't had a stroke who just don't know that that we already do know. You know? Nicely said. I, I think one of the things that I always try and tell patients, even patients who are dying, is that you still have things to teach. You mm-hmm. still have things to do. And so you talked about you have kids. And so one of the things that I'm, um, I was dealing with a, a patient who, it's different, had ALS and he was dying. Mm. But he, I kept reminding him, you still have to teach your kids how to die. Mm. And, you know, it's powerful, but at the same time, it's really important to be able to show friends and family that you're not done. Right. You have more lessons to teach. You have more things to do. Absolutely. And I believe in that. 100%. You know, we're going to take another break. And uh, when we come back, uh, Linda is going to share with us some homework that um, we all could do and benefit from. Um, so depending on where our deficits lie in terms of speech and cognition and things like that, the, the boss here is going to kick us into gear and uh, tell us what we need to do and kind of give us some homework to work on and things like that. So um, sit tight and we'll be right back. Hey, this is Christopher Ewing with a Life After Stroke health tip. So if you're a stroke survivor with any kind of paralysis, then you know how frustrating it can be to try to do some normal everyday tasks. Things that used to be so quick and easy now seem almost impossible to do using, let's say, our hand or our arm on our affected side. Now, I say almost impossible because in many cases, our affected arm and hand are still able to do things. We just have to give them the opportunity to do it. And we have to resist the urge to baby them, as an OT told me once, or consider them no longer able to do things all because of the stroke. Now, when I was in the hospital, I remember one of the doctors telling me, You didn't break a bone, your arm is still there, and is just as intact as it was before your stroke. You just have to help wake those muscles back up and re-educate your brain on how to make it work and constantly remind your arm that it is still a part of your body and that it still has a job to do. Now that whole way of thinking really hit me one day a couple of months ago. I was at home about to go from one room to another, and as I was leaving the room, the thought crossed my mind to reach, using my left arm, my affected side, to turn the light off. And then I immediately said to myself, oh wait, I can't use that arm because it doesn't work, so I have to use my right arm to do this. And so I reached with my right arm and turned the light off. But then I immediately thought, wait a minute, how do I know if I could do that with my left arm or not? I didn't even try. So I turned the light back on using my right arm and hand and then reached up with my left arm and hand and taking all of 10 extra seconds at the most to do it, I turned the light off. And then I started to think, I wonder how many times could my left arm and left hand have actually done what I wanted it to do if I had just tried. So that's when I decided to implement a new rule, kind of a game if you will, that I want you to try to do also. I call it three tries. Basically, the rule is that you try to do something using your affected arm or hand and you give it three tries. And if you are still unable to do whatever it is after three tries, then you can use your non-affected arm and hand, but only after you've tried at least three times, no matter how long it takes. Now, of course, if you're in a hurry, then you got to do what you got to do. But seriously, whenever time allows, 
Really, make a concerted effort to use your affected arm and hand instead of just automatically using your non-affected side just because it's easier or faster. I especially implement this rule if what I want to reach for is on the affected side of my body. Basically, whatever is on my left side is my left arm and hand's responsibility, and whatever is on my right side is my right arm and hand's responsibility. I make every effort to not reach across my body to do something using my right hand if that something is on my left side. Now, if you try this little game, trust me, you will be surprised at just how much your hand and your arm can actually do if you just give it a chance to show you. Now, if you have a really cool health tip that you'd like to share with others, tell us about it. Just go to our website, www.thestrokechannel.tv. That's thestrokechannel.tv. I'm Christopher Ewing, and this has been a Life After Stroke Health Tip. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Life After Stroke. I'm Christopher Ewing. And, uh, you know, I want to share something with you that happened, um, Linda, when I was in rehab, and I'm... I'm just kind of curious because I hear that it's actually a thing, but I didn't know it was a thing when it was time for me to have speech therapy every day. I'd be just as alert and, you know, ready for my speech therapist to come on in. A shout out to Chin Sue if she's listening. Awesome, awesome speech therapist at California Rehab Institute. So when she would come in, I'd be just as alert and everything. And so she's like, okay, so you're ready to get started? I'm like, yep, let's get started. And so she would read like these paragraphs, like these stories, and I would have to listen to them and try to remember. And then after that, there was going to be a series of true or false questions. And I would have Mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, say things about the story. So one in particular was like uh, the Empire State Building, you know. So the Empire State Building's located in New York City. It's at 34th Street. It's got a hundred and something floors, blah, blah, blah. You know, so there's a whole thing. And there was a lot of numbers and everything else. I would be just as alert, but man, once she got going, like within 30 seconds of her getting into this story, John's already laughing. So obviously, uh, obviously I'm not alone in this. Like with literally, Linda, within 30 seconds, my eyes would shut. My head would literally start like spinning around like I was on like some kind of a drug trip. And I just couldn't handle it. My, I mean, it was like overload. And I would think to myself, dude, wake up. You know, this woman's, you know, you're, you're being insulting. You're not listening to her. You, you're not making any eye contact. I just couldn't. I couldn't. There was nothing I could do. And it happened so many times that finally I had to apologize to her. And I said, you know what, Chinsu, I have to apologize to you. I'm really not trying to be disrespectful. But I don't know what it is. But from the moment you start getting into this stuff, my brain just shuts down. I mean, I'm talking down i'm like done and it takes like maybe another 10 or 15 minutes for it to kind of come back online if you will you know Mm -hmm. what is that uh too much information at one time it overloads the system yes okay and it shuts down it's very much just it my actually i had a professor who used to call it the bottle theory you know how when you guys who drink bottles of beer and if (laughs) if you take a bottle of beer and you turn it straight up so that it it doesn't fall out easy right. it splashes beer all over mm-hmm. the air is trying to go up the bottle and the, At the same then time the beer the comes down, down and mm-hmm. it doesn't work right. but if you tilt that bottle slowly mm-hmm. and a little comes out at the time you get a an, ex, an equal exchange sure. of air and beer mm-hmm. and then it comes out easier mm-hmm. it's not on it's not unlike that yes. you if you overwhelm the person with with information that the brain can't manage it because it's had a stroke yeah. and it needs time to process information in an easy manner so one of the things speech therapists learn to do is 
start small. Oh yeah, and she you know, did. I mean, to her simple. defense, I mean, she. No, I, mean, I know, but I mean, is, it's that's why. Yeah. And so you start small, and then you build on knowledge, and you build on skill. Mm-hmm. You you talked about you could only speak three words at a time. That's mm-hmm. where you were at. Right. Yes, our job is to get you to speak more words at one time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so we push you a little more, and we push you a little more to keep trying to do that. But if you if you overwhelm the patient, couple things happen. You lose trust in the therapist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is not something we want you to be confident and trust. You know, it's a real trust relationship between patient and mm-hmm. therapist. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is you want we want to give you confidence. Oh, look, I am improving. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's look, I've gone from one word, then I've gone to two words. Sure. Now I'm at three words. I can do four. Mm-hmm. Um, and those building of skills is are really, really important so that you're connecting and rerouting those neurons and building on on top of what you're doing mm-hmm. so th- those are things that's classic you know clinician mm-hmm. Ab- mm-hmm. ability to do that to fix that john was that your experience when uh, oh yes and that brain freeze brain freeze yeah right exactly oh my gosh it was just like it was almost like you're in your car pushing both pedals at the same time and you know and, and to her defense I mean she, you know she was great I mean so I know it just had nothing to do with her but it was you know as I got into the therapy you know after a couple of weeks of, of doing it that's when it started to show itself and I thought man what the heck is happening here but mm-hmm. you know you're already dealing with a damaged part of your body which is your brain and it's already a little messed up and yeah yeah it, it and Michelle taught me mm-hmm. and yeah, you've it was before. good mm-hmm. but uh, yeah it was bad for me <laughs> yeah right 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 yeah. isn't that something yeah mm. I know it's not uncommon for me to be working with a patient and they just stop mm-hmm. and I'll just say okay let's take you know and I'll put it down I'll put whatever we're doing I'll go okay just relax sometimes they cr- they cry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'll go it's all right mm-hmm. let's just you know so what's going on what's going on in your head you know and yep. and kind of regroup them again because it, it can be very overwhelming when yeah. you're trying to constantly build skills. Sure, sure. That makes me feel better, too, because you know I cried at some point. <laughs> I mean, and I remember crying specifically when I was telling her what I was feeling because, I, number one, I felt really disrespectful to her. I mean, I just felt like, you know, she's talking and I'm not even looking at her. And, I, you know, always, you know, you always look people in the eye when they talk to you yeah. and you're having a conversation. But, boy, I just, I mean, and, and I talked her through it, actually, one time. You know, I said, you know what, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm feeling right now. I said, right now, I can't even pry my eyes open and look at you right now. Just my body will not even let me even do it. I'm just, my brain just, it's on overload right now like crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just really amazing. Just really, really heavy. Um, Gilbert, were you, you going to say something? I had a question. I don't know if this is for Linda, but um, in the email you sent out uh, uh, describing what this meeting was going to mm-hmm. be about, um, it says that uh, speech and language pathologists um, also deal with hemiparesis of face, tongue, lips, throat, and also internal organs. Now, I don't know if you're speaking of those related to speech. Those are more my notes. And so wh- what I was talking about earlier was that when you have hemiparesis, when you're paralyzed on one side or the other, you're paralyzed all the way through. So you're not just paralyzed on the outside, like your arm and your hand, but you're paralyzed on that side of your body, your stomach, your colon, your bladder, all of those things are impacted in hemiparesis. Hmm. So th- um, we don't really work on those, but mm-hmm. but it is some. But 
it's interesting. One of the things you talked about, speech was really important, but I also see physical therapy is really important. The more patients are getting up and walking around, it actually improves the function of internal organs Mm -hmm. and so so that the colon starts working and the bladder starts working better and they Mm -hmm. have you have more strength and what we call perfusion which is blood flow to Mm -hmm. things Mm -hmm. as long as you're moving and and getting up and so the worst thing you can do i always tell patients is sit down Mm -hmm. get up yes right and uh, you know uh, yeah it's really important to continue doing that Mm -hmm. yeah because for me when i was in the hospital um after i was on solid food I developed um, constipation and and then after I got out of the hospital it would reoccur you know frequently and then I wondered you know there must be something internally that's not working properly because of the stroke you know I mean that's exactly what happened you know Mm -hmm. yeah you don't people just don't think it can be internal as well as external Mm -hmm. it's amazing so I started um, I got myself a, a uh, what do you call it? A, um, a treadmill. I started walking on the tr- practicing oh, cool. walking on a treadmill, and then um, um, I think that helped a lot. You know, just to get moving. So mm-hmm. yeah, oh, that's really that's good. really yeah. important. Really good. And Gene, you had a question. <laughs> My question was about chopsticks and the use of it, but. I think that I will withdraw my question because there's such things out of work. Because what? Because there's such thing out of work. Because there's such thing as a fork. <laughs> I think uh, so, the so question was about Jean. chopsticks. So yeah. it would probably go better to an OT who works on hands and, and feeding. But there are adaptations. You didn't want to use like an adaptation of chopsticks. Like when my kids were learning to use chopsticks, they can use like a little rubber bands and stuff yeah, right. to help them yeah. open them close. I think what what's important to understand is this all clinicians, all therapists think of modifications as a good thing. If we can get you to adapt to something, you can easily use that forever or it will help you transition to regular chopsticks. Mm-hmm. And so I think the important is is to be able to be willing to use the modification so you get used to that motor movement. But the OT could probably tell you more. Mm-hmm. One other thing before we get into our homework lesson, um, something you had mentioned earlier that we're going to have you on for another show um, to deal with because it's such a huge topic and it's literally a show all within itself, is how insurance companies deal with speech therapy and kind of the lack of funding for it and the lack of support for it. You had mentioned that you had a client that had made the comment about her mother, I think it was, um, her insurance company. Uh, talk a little bit about that. I, uh, what, there were, I've, I, it's not an uncommon thing for a, for a daughter for a, or a child, an adult, mm-hmm. to talk about her mother's or her father's insurance. Mm-hmm. And they frequently will say, if I had known she had had this insurance, I would never have allowed it because they, can't, they, they don't get covered even if they have Medicare. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to know Medicare doesn't, it only pays for a small, you know, it pays for part of the treatment, doesn't pay for all of it. So the, the, those burdens fall on either a secondary insurance, which pays for the other, tw- helps to pay for 20%, but still some finances mm-hmm. go back to the patient. 
what what I'm becoming more increasingly increasingly frustrated is that um, it may look like a lot. So an insurance company may cover say sixty sessions of physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Mm. But when you look at a when you look at a patient who has just had a stroke and they need all of them, it's Mm -hmm. almost a decision as to whether you want to walk, talk, or eat. Yes. And that's really not a good option because we can blow through 60 sessions in the the inpatient stay, much less the outpatient stay. Sure. And so one of the things we've started to become more accustomed to doing with patients uh, who are seeing us for outpatient or even inpatient is to start pushing families to go, you know, you're not going to get a lot of coverage. You have to, we're going to give you a whole program and you have to start doing this consistently. So we push families to learn how to work with their loved one and work with them uh, at home or in the in the unit, uh, in the hospital, or as even as outpatients. So we're looking to transition some care mm-hmm. to different people or different skills. For example, once a physical therapist has treated a person with a stroke are they capable of finding a say a trainer at a gym Mm -hmm. to who has experience in stroke not Mm -hmm. just some kid who's you know kind of sort of doesn't really want to work with someone and um and to be able to see if they can transition one thing we're starting to use speech pathologists at st joe's we're starting to use tutors so we're you know once we give the family a bunch of things to work on Mm -hmm. we're trying to transition some of that care to tutors so that it's not as cost uh as as costly to families Mm -hmm. and they have a chance to still continue treatment some treatment in some way it's not uncommon too we also offer families well if you know we've seen you say for 10 sessions we've given you a home program but if your loved one's doing all this stuff Mm -hmm. let us know we'll set up a new thing and we'll 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 give you another program to work on at home so it's important there the responsibility is unfortunately put on patients and families to know what their insurance coverage is ask questions of those companies before you see them one company flat out refuses to do cognitive therapy Mm. um, or pay for cognitive therapy saying it's investigative i've done cognitive therapy for 40 years i'm telling you it's not investigative Mm. we don't we aren't investigating whether it works we know it works yes and the fat and we also know it even works for patients with dementia Mm. um, to maximize skills and maximize their ability and as we talked about speech and language are linked to cognition yes you can't you can't we all think in a language and we all talk in that language we communicate in language and we learn in language and it's the first thing that happens in order for us to be linguistic i guess right so a lot of insurance companies are refusing cognitive treatment they are also in addition they are even though the patient is paid for their insurance and may be covered insurance Mm -hmm. are saying well we'll give you authorization to see the speech pathologist but at any time we can decide we're not going to pay for it Mm. and so maybe two and three months worth of bills are being all put back on the family and so we have been trying to fight with insurance companies fight with the california state insurance commissioner but we're having a heck of a time Mm. and so it's one of those things that insurance we haven't settled that in this country Mm -hmm. and we we don't know where we're going to end up but it is incumbent upon families 
um, to know their insurance benefits and prepare for them if they need them. Right, right. Well, it's certainly something that's become very passionate on my part here. I mean, I have great insurance. I've, I've been very fortunate in that respect. But, um, you know, one of the reasons why I created this show and created the TV is to provide people who maybe no longer have access to a Linda or you know other trained professionals in dealing with stroke so that it kind of serves as a source. So for those of you who don't know this yet, you'll kind of know it now, um, in the coming weeks, our app, uh, the strokechannel.tv app will be out and through that app, you'll be able to access not just great information, but there's, there's a button on there that you can hit and it'll be videos and you can hit PT and Once you hit that, you'll see a number of videos that all deal with physical therapy. So it might be chair therapy, uh, how to move your leg, how to move your knee, how to move your foot, your ankle, whatever. um, There'll be a a link for OT, and you can click the OT button right on the app, and up will pop a video of an OT who will show you how to put marbles in a bowl or whatever it is. I'm going to put, put Linda on blast here. You know, you'll be able to click on speech and all of a sudden up will pop Linda and she'll be taking you through some exercises of, you know, some speech exercises or something. Um, because it is important that people still have access to this regardless as to some authority or bureaucracy or something else that tells you, well, sorry, you can't. Well, look, you know what? If my body says that, you know, I have this deficit, I have this deficit and I need help with it. And the, the worst thing would be for someone not to recover from something all because a power that is tells them that they're not going to help them do it. Someone, someone's rehabilitation and someone's improvement can't be based upon some entity that is going to dictate how much you're going to get back, how much of a return you're going to get back, whether you'll walk, whether you'll speak, whether you'll swallow, whether, you, whether whatever it is. You know, this storm kind of hit us by chance as it is and we're busting our tail trying like heck to get ourselves back and then people like you Linda who just give of yourselves and I won't get into all that I've gone in ad nauseum in the last episode and cried like a baby <laughs> about people like you who just so selflessly give of yourselves to people like us who need you so desperately and we're all doing our part you know mm-hmm. but doggone if there's going to be something that's going to come along and say oh well, no, 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 yeah, I, I know you might need that, but you know we don't want to pay for that anymore. Or, well, you know what? That's not available to you. Um, so I guess this, this is just kind of the long-winded way of saying that um, everyone here at the Stroke Channel TV and Life After Stroke is um, really committed to trying to do our part in trying to help people, everybody who's listening to this now, everyone who will have access to the app or the website or whatever, to be able to get the uh, rehabilitation that um, they might need and might not have access to and any other way so if you can't afford a PT or OT or a ST and you know your insurance is paying for it at least we have fabulous people who are PTs and OTs and STs who have donated their time to providing uh, video resources and, and audio resources to help all of you rehabilitate as best as possible mm-hmm. so segueing into homework Yep. So we've got a number of people who, we've got people listening right now all over the world that maybe have aphasia, dysarthria, or any of the other things that we've spoken about. So, um, Linda, in the few minutes that um, we have left here on the show, kind of give us some homework to work on, you know, whether it's just ourselves or whether our caregivers that can help us through it. Almost every single person um, now has a phone, a mobile phone, mm-hmm. and they have access to apps. Mm-hmm. So it could be Apple apps, it could be Google, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what, so what I have been impressed with is the quality of, or and frequency and number of apps that are can help. And you have to think outside of the box a little bit. Mm-hmm. So if you have a phone, you have some access to be being able to build your brain. Mm-hmm. So you talked about your app, which mm-hmm. is perfect segue. Mm-hmm. So one of the things you can go in is go into the Apple Store or the Google apps and start looking at things for that are word games. You mm-hmm. can start looking at um, games that work on... Um, Cognition. So mm-hmm. any kind of game that you have never played, you may not be a real techie person, mm-hmm. but pick up one little game. It does not have to be expensive. Don't spend two, three hundred dollars. Some mm-hmm. of these apps can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do that. You can spend five bucks on a game mm-hmm. and learn how to use it. That in itself is a way to st- any kind of new learning stimulates mm-hmm. your brain and builds new neurons. Mm-hmm. So we don't have um, we don't have weights for brains. Yeah, so right. we have to exercise sure. brains. Good point. So what about for speech too? Like for speech, um, you can go into apps and type in oral O R A L okay. motor M O T O R oral motor, and they will give you actual exercises for your tongue, lips. Oh, that's great. Some universities actually have on on the um, in apps they have. Uh, pictures of how to do them mm-hmm. and so you might be able to do that um, what about using things like something you might see on television like uh, memorizing things uh, you know maybe like sesame street for instance I mean, you know could you you know as they teach kids to say certain words and things like that would that be therapeutic to kind of any use anything that would be helpful i like to try and pick the things that are more appropriate for adults mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they may take offense yeah, at, sure, at yeah. something that's too young yeah sure but if they're willing and one of the things I found, for example, was, I think I can say this, Montessori. Mm-hmm. Um, Montessori does have some apps for reading, for example, mm-hmm. that are that are more appropriate for adults. Oh, wonderful. And so I find really, truly, that some apps can be extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. That's just a small example. I have other examples. I do want to give a one quick warning, only because, particularly with regard to physical therapy, you don't want to go past your ability or and you know do something that is yes. too difficult mm-hmm. so do be mindful um, if you have still access to a speech pathologist or a physical therapist or whatever make sure that these are appropriate for your skills and abilities mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I think that that's important but um, you know anything that you can do and I have another a whole bunch of lists too mm-hmm. as well um, I uh, I started in kindergarten and I made my way up to um, the first grade, second grade, third grade, the fourth grade, fifth grade, and it was good for me to do that stuff. Hmm. So you found some like kid exercises to, oh, yes. to do and, stuff with? And it, it was good and uh, uh, speech and cognition stuff mm-hmm. it, that's was good for me good good you know everybody listening you know there's no shame in the game you know what i mean if it's going to help you get back to you know some semblance of self that you recall and that you miss um dive in there do it get it done you know the advantage you were talking about the grade levels so starting with 
first grade, second grade, third grade. Mm-hmm. That's really good because it also builds your comprehension, your mm-hmm. reading skills, and your memory skills. Sure. So, so they're because they're built at a more simple level and graded mm-hmm. up, the complexity, you can build in the complexity and the knowledge. Right. The other thing um, that's really important is just talking. I think a lot of people who have strokes, they just shut down. They don't communicate to other people. They feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I really do. But the best way to, you know, use, if you use, if you don't use it, you lose it. Exactly. And so you you got to get out there and got to keep talking. And that's also really important, you guys. And, and I want to say this. Um, you know, obviously on this show, you know, we all sit around here and we talk and, you know, I I can edit stuff out. I can do whatever. And, you know, I kind of leave in all of the everything that what happens here happens here. I'm, you know, I leave in all the good and the bad, and the ugly, um, because this is where we're at. This is what life's about. And, and I don't want anybody to feel as though that uh, there's anything to be ashamed of or embarrassed by. This is us. This is where we're at. And this is what we do. Um I'll also say that from my own personal experience, um, you know, I'm eight months into this stroke thing, and like I said, the first month or two, I was saying very little. Um, I, I could I could say the words, I could figure out the words. I just wasn't motivated to really say too much. And um, really, what I think helped me be, you know, Mr. Talkative here. I mean, I'm sure I'm talking way too much as it is now. Um, but one of the things that certainly has helped me get back to my ability to communicate is forcing myself to do what I do. I mean, my job was hosting a TV show and talking for a living and radio and everything else. And I knew I had to get back to that just if I wanted to eat again. Um, but it certainly did also force me to have to do what my body didn't want to do, which is talk and focus and enunciate and everything else. So, you know, going back to what Linda just said about, you know, use it or lose it, that absolutely can be the case in that, um, you know, if, if you choose, hey, you know what, I'm good with just not talking so much and moving so much and, you know, I'm good with where I'm at. That's that's more than fine, too. Um, but at the same time, you can't kind of be bummed about the fact if something isn't working if you're not working at it to get it working again, I guess, is mm-hmm. kind of the biggest thing. So um, definitely force yourself beyond your, not, not beyond your ability to do something, but maybe just your motivation level, I guess. I'll say, you know, don't try not to com- become complacent or settle. You know, I guess would mm-hmm. be the thing that I personally would say. But yeah. You were talking about speech building, so I have a list of speech building oh, things to do. Yes, yes. So, um, one of the, once again, isolation equals disability. So you isolate mm. yourself from communicating. You, you disappear mm. from your friends and family. That's so good, good point. And so get out there and talk to people. So you are the voice of stroke recovery. You must be brave. Mm-hmm. And I want you to get out there and give others hope that mm. the person behind you who had a, has a new stroke, you can show them yes. what you can do. So uh, one, of your, one of your jobs is to call or FaceTime people start talking to friends reconnect with people you've lost along the way because you had a stroke and didn't feel mm-hmm. like you were communicating well enough to talk to them what if they just feel embarrassed by it or just like oh uh, you know I, I, it takes me a while to say what i want to say or let's put the reverse you know? if you had a friend who had a stroke and their speech was disordered would you would you avoid them amen point well taken you would not 
you guys. So tell you me. You would be there. Don't, with God, don't get me crying on this Dogon show. <laughs> <laughs> Let me at least get through one episode, okay? I can't imagine any of you oh, would do that. So the point absolutely. is, is reach out to friends, reach out to family, let them know you're okay, because they're probably wondering. They don't know what to do. Absolutely. And Everybody, please. People don't know what to say. Oh. People don't know what to do when you've had a stroke. Yes. Let them out there and go, yeah, okay, I'm a little different. I had a stroke, but you know what? I really miss you. I love you. I want to be with you. Absolutely, Linda. Oh, my gosh. Everybody, please, you know, hit pause and rewind and listen to that again. I mean, everything Linda just said is so important, you guys. You know, as you've heard me say, there's no shame in this game. There just isn't. And there are people in your lives who love you, who are just concerned about what's going on with you as you're concerned about what's going on with you. Nobody's here to rush anybody. There is no place to hide. There's no reason to hide. There's certainly nobody to hide from. You know, and certainly it's not your loved ones and your friends. So as Linda said, you know, call these people, FaceTime these people, Skype them. I don't care. Send them a doggone smoke signal if you want. But don't be afraid to to get out and be you again. You know, I really like FaceTime and Skype because it forces you to have them look at your face. Yes. So, you know, and you need to over articulate and get used to that Mm -hmm. so they can Mm -hmm. see you Um, write your memoirs. Talk about what it's like to have been through a stroke. Talk mm-hmm. about your challenges, the things in your life. Um, uh, my dad was a uh, was one of the greatest generation. Was a PD boat officer, oh, and he refused to write down things. I tried to get him to talk. I couldn't get I'll always get. And so I don't want those stories lost. Your kids don't want those, and neither do your grandchildren. Mm. So go ahead, and Mr. Lieutenant Colonel write your over memoirs. there, John. Yeah. Hmm. Find a new way to do your hobbies. Um, just do it slower. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a woodworker and you haven't got that hand, see if there's another way to do it. Use clamps and stuff to try and do it. Don't quit on those hobbies or le- learn a new one. Hike and run. Um, I started running at 58. I didn't think in a million years I would start 58 miles running. an hour? 58 years old. You ain't seen no 58. Girl, I know what you were trying to say. <laughs> trying to, I know what you were trying and, to say. I'm still and not buying I'm it. I'm doing half marathons. <laughs> I never thought in a million wow. years I'd do that. You know, wow. so... You know, get out there, explore, go to the beach, look at the sunset, get out and enjoy the beauty of this world. Don't shut yourself in. Okay, but I'm going to go here because I know there's somebody that's listening and saying this. Yeah, but I can't do that anymore. Right. So I used find to be another to, way. You know, it's like, I don't want to hear it. You yeah. know, I, I yes, find another way. Um, and I really believe in volunteering. Mm-hmm. And so there's a reason why, you know, you may be, I don't know this group. I don't know if I want to do that mm-hmm. or I don't, you know, it could be anything. It could be a political group. It could be a food bank. It could be whatever. Um, I think the beauty of volunteering is, is it takes you out of yourself and it, in giving to others so mm. you can go home and think, I made a difference. Mm. Those are those are really important. So get out there, talk to people, volunteer, and see what you can do. Yes. You know, if you, if you fail at it, who have you hurt? You've tried. Right. Go to the next thing. Like I say, it's better to try and fail than to fail to try. Yep. So brain building, um, I want you to consider taking a class. It could be anything. We're currently in a wreck 
recreation uh, mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. You go out to the site outside in the hallway. There are a thousand classes we offer in yes. Burbank, mm-hmm. and so go out there, take a class, learn how to cook. Um, one of my patients, it was Norwegian. He did an ancestry thing. Mm-hmm. He went out and learned Norwegian. Wow. <laughs> he wasn't great <laughs> at it, but he did. Absolutely. The thing about building cognitive skills and speech and language skills is new learning, not old stuff, new learning. New learning. So if you have a hobby that you used to do and you got to learn a new way of doing it, that's a good thing. Okay. Not mm-hmm. just because you're learning how to do it a different way. Mm-hmm. It's the new learning that makes a difference. That's what builds neurons. Mm. Um, that are, Consider things that are challenging, like setting, you know, instead of going on a cruise where everything's all done for you, mm-hmm. think about setting up a travel itinerary, including learning about the country or the city, mm. planning hotel and travel and maps, getting tickets to museum, learning, figuring out sites of interest, learning the history of that place you want to go. So go here for a second. I want you to kick somebody in the tail. And that's the person who's on the other end of this microphone that is thinking, yeah, that all sounds nice, but I had a stroke. I can't do that stuff anymore. Or, you know, or they, they're just telling themselves the things that they can no longer do, won't be able to do, won't be invited to do. People would be inconvenienced if they were the one that was going to be tagging along or something like that. Um, talk a little bit on that. Just I think, you know, it's, I always like to think the reverse. Mm-hmm. So what can you do? Mm-hmm. What do you have left? You know, are you able to get up and walk around? Okay, you may not be able to travel to Rome, mm-hmm. you know, because of finances or because of cobblestone streets, mm-hmm. but can you get around your block? Can you go a little farther the next block? Right. Can you go down the street and help to volunteer at the food bank? Sure. Can you, you know, can you be a cashier at the local thrift shop, right. you know, that donates, for example, right. the Cancer Society mm-hmm. or something? Mm-hmm. What can you do? And then find a way to try and incorporate that into your world. So good. So good. Um, another one is take a group exercise class. There are different classes. One of the things that I've been super impressed with is a lot of Parkinson's patients, for example, are taking boxing. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Parkinson's people are not going to be going out and doing <laughs> right. MMA. But right. but if you can get out there and box, the advantage of that is is that if you consider you take your right hand and you move it toward the left, it's cross. Right. turning and twisting for Parkinson's patients that's a value the same Joyce, thing can um, help with stroke tell everyone there, there's that wonderful one Miss Joyce that you told me about and uh, tell me the name of it again what's it called it's in Pasadena uh, the lineage. Lineage. Theater. I got to give a shout out to lineage. There's that is Good. such a cool. Uh, we I actually got John going and stuff like that. It is such a cool thing. If you're in the Pasadena area, I know that they have classes uh, throughout the week. I think because we are free going classes. Free classes. And one is and a movement excellent, class. Excellent. Given by Michelle, who's an outstanding right. dance teacher, and I mean. It was so good. Miss Joyce had told me about it and one of the other uh, people that attends one of our support groups. And I got to tell you, you know, it really helped me because, you know, I was starting to just work again so much and not really exercising as much. But boy, going to that thing and you sit in a chair, you you're moving like you've never moved before. And and it's so excellent. So there's all kinds of those things out there. And, you know, and it was really cool to look over and see John after I got John to go. I see John up there just dancing and having a big fun. And him. And 
I like uh, speech one. Um, uh, the singing one or whatever it is? Yes, one. Uh-huh. yes. Yep, that's good that too. That one is good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like Linda's saying, there's all kinds of great things out there. You just got to kind of find them and explore and dig around. And yeah, and you got to get out of your shell and yes. take a shot. Yes. Um, another one is um, like I had talked, I spoke previously about working with a trainer who has experience working with people with disabilities. So once you're done with your physical therapist and you kind of have a plan, feel feel free to go to your gyms and find a, find someone who has experience working with people with strokes and see if they can. you can go a little farther without paying the larger price of a physical therapist. The uh, YMCA is a good, oh, good one. And um, swimming is good. Mm-hmm. And um, I go for swimming and working out. Mm-hmm. Good. So those are those are great. The, another one is take a speech class. Each of you has a story to tell. Each of you has experiences to tell. And so even if it's just a local, you know, a lo- local rec area where they're talking about giving a speech or communicating with people, anything like that can be of value. So um, it's important to be able to know that you are not limited only by what's in your head Ooh. not what your physical disabilities are very true so go get out there and be brave and talk to people and see what you can do so those any one of those that i just mentioned that's your homework <laughs> there you go i think it's important to know we all have weaknesses we all have them some are just more obvious than others but that doesn't mean what's in your heart i will tell you i out of the literally thousands of people I've worked with, the ones that impress me the most are the bravest. Hmm. The ones that keep trying, the ones that fall and get up, the ones that do whatever they can do. And that's when you see people continuing to try, continuing to work, and who will continue to progress over time. Hmm. Those are the ones that really stop a therapist and make you think, you know, these people are stronger, better, tougher than I. Wow. And they have a lot to teach me. You know, I can teach you exercises, but but strength and courage and bravery, that's a whole other ballgame. So this would be the point that I would normally ask our featured guests any final thoughts. So I, I, I think just, you know, put your therapist's feet to the fire. Make them give you a plan. Know your insurance. Uh, and be brave, be strong. Well, this has been awesome. Um, we have been speaking with Linda Dominguez Gasson, and Linda, I can't thank you enough for coming and just being a part of this and you're being welcome. a part of the things that we have going on in the future. I just, it's, you're just awesome. I mean, you, you are just plain awesome. And on behalf of all of us stroke survivors that are here in this room, as well as the ones that are listening right now, I just thank you on what you're doing with your life and how you've dedicated your life to helping people like us get our lives back. Uh, I, I say it many times, and, and you're just another one of those who just are just so selfless. And uh, really, on behalf of all of us, I just can't thank you enough. You just really have no idea the, the difference you're making in all of our lives and the lives that you've already touched us through this episode alone i'm sure so thank you so so much sure thank you chris so everybody listening uh, that's the show for this week and uh, i thank all of you for listening a lot of stuff to think about here a lot of stuff to think about got our homework we've got our stuff going on and uh, we've got our, our list of things to do the biggest thing is is to just remember that you matter we're still here for a reason 
there's still a job for all of us to do. And so, as I often say, until next week, just remember that there is still a beautiful life after stroke. This has been a recorded program of an actual stroke support group. The comments expressed are the opinions of the participants and not necessarily the opinions of the producers, sponsors, or the broadcasters of this show. This program is not to be used as a way to diagnose or treat any medical condition that you may have. Please consult your doctor or healthcare professional before making any changes to your current medical routine. Life After Stroke is a production of the Hang On to the Dream Foundation, the 501c3 nonprofit organization that helps kids and adults reach their goals in life. If these Life After Stroke programs are helpful to you, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to the Hang On to the Dream Foundation to assist the organization in its numerous outreach activities. For more information, just go to www.hangontothedream.org. And remember, no matter how hard things seem, hang on to the dream.